It says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So he said to them, when you pray, everybody say, when you pray. He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, uh, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine who is on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even this friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Not because you're friends, but because of the tenacity. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be what? Open. Verse 11, two more verses after this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If then you though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now, that's unique because all of a sudden the Spirit comes in the conversation. So we got to think about this text. Because when you look at this and begin to break down these 11 verses, or 13 verses, excuse me, and maybe three or four sections, there are some things that we learn from Christ early on. First of all, we learn the attitude behind our prayer, how we should approach prayer. Secondly, we learn the authority in prayer, and then we also learn the, uh, the awareness of God and his goodness in prayer. So there's a lot going on in this text, but if you notice this, um, this is a little bit different than Matthew's gospel. In fact, there's two specific areas where what we see in Matthew in the Lord's Prayer and what we see in Luke, they're different. For example, um, in Matthew's account, when the Bible says, your kingdom come, it then says what? your will be done. We did not read that in Luke. I wonder why. Is he saying that those don't go together? No, actually, what he's saying is this is understood. It's understood that in God's kingdom, God's will is as good or already done. You know why? Because in God's kingdom, his will is always fulfilled. That's the whole idea of being in a kingdom with a good king. So we kick off with this little, little uh, nugget shift there. Also, we see something else, but we're going to pass on that today for time's sake. But I want you to see that this is similar, yet it's different, and there's a purpose behind it. So let's unpack today a couple thoughts out of this text. Let's talk about prayer, and then let's lean into a critical moment in the life of Jesus Christ when he showed us prayer under distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, John's movement, what was that? Well, John had disciples just as Jesus had disciples. And John's movement was one that was focusing on God's redemptive act to redeem his people back from, from sin, from the brokenness, from the tyranny of the government. There was a lot going on in John's movement, but the whole premise of everything in the gospel and the Bible itself is built upon the idea of redemption. 
So when you read the scripture, it is critical to interpret, to implement, and to consider that everything about scripture is done with a redemptive mindset. God's a redemptive God. And so when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming in, the Spirit was part of the seal, the covenant of God's redemption for Israel and for mankind. How many know that God today is indeed a redemptive God? Put your hand up high. Is there anybody here who God has redeemed you? Put your hand up high again. You know what that means? That means God has positioned you to be part of his redemptive work on the earth today. You and I, because he has redeemed us, we are now part of his redemptive plan. Verse 4 says, but when the time was set and had been fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to what? To sonship or to daughtership. Because you are his sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So, everybody say so. So you're no longer slaves, but you're you're kids of God, you're God's child. And since you are his child, he has also made you his heir. You have an inheritance in your father in heaven. When you pray, he hears. He's got promises for you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And when you talk to God, because he's a good father, he hears and he responds to your petition. That's a powerful promise from God's word. Having said that then, we pray from our identification as his child or as his heir. Let me give you an earthly example. If you're in a marketplace and your kid walks up and goes, Dad, I want to go get this. Your response would be impacted by the fact that, first of all, that was your kid, and second of all, that they ask. If some random kid runs up and says, Dad, and your wife looks at you like, (laughs) says, Dad, I want to go get this, even though it may be the same thing they're asking for, there's two big disconnects. Number one, you're not my kid. Number two, I'm not buying that for you. Now, I may not buy it for my own kid, but at least I know that that is my child. That's my son. So watch this. We pray to God from our identity as his child, as his heir. Anytime you go to the Father in prayer, you're talking to a good daddy in heaven who loves you very, very much. That's the power of prayer. In, in their day and time, they, when they said sanctify your name, they're talking about God's works. And God's works were affirming as to who he was. They were the powerful things he did, the miracles, those affirmed or those sanctified his name that he indeed was a miracle working and a mighty God. He delivered them, he provided for them, he fed them, he set them free. And so they sanctified his name by his works. But what about us? Well, we sanctify his name by how we obey him. So watch this. We make a petition to God. We pray a prayer. We pray it because we have faith he will do it, 
But then when we choose to respond back to God in an attitude or atmosphere of obedience, then that also sanctifies his name because we say we believe in God's authority, we believe in God's plan, and we're going to live our life in a way that verifies that what we just prayed, we also believe by obeying the promises and the word of God. When you pray and disobey, it does the opposite. Be sure that when you pray, you follow it up with how you live because this was a direct connection to their day and time and to our day and time. In their day and time, the way they prayed changed how they lived. And it should be the same for us today. Who has ever prayed about something and then failed to live it out the next step? See, our tendency is to take prayer and let prayer become just like an expression of our emotions rather than a declaration of our behaviors. Who's ever prayed for a better job? What did you do in response to that prayer? See, we, we, we tend to think about prayer as this time which you say, okay, God, here's all my emotions, all my feelings. God, you take it, and then we just forget about our part of the conversation. See, in prayer, we affirm God's sovereignty, but we don't ignore our responsibility. These all go together. So we're praying to a father. We're praying from the identity of our sonship and our place as a daughter or son of God's, and we know this to be true, but we also realize that in prayer, there is an affirmation that we're going to live a certain way of life because that's what prayer does for us. See, Another key part here is the, he mentions the word daily bread. That means something different for us maybe than for them when they first heard that. You know why? We often think of the daily bread as a little thing that used to be on your table. When you know, I was a kid, there was, you go to people's house, they had the daily bread, and it was the verse. You pulled the card out. That was before the iPhone and the version verse of the day. Our verse of the day used to come printed three years ago on a piece of paper, and you pulled the daily bread out, and that was your verse of the day because we call the word the bread of life, right? So we talk about that, and that's all fine, but in their context, daily bread goes back to the memory that they had of the time that God provided food for them every day. Remember that? The Israelites, God fed them every day with a thing called manna, and he brought them this daily provision. See, daily provision means I need God every day of my life. We have a tendency to think that, God, I'm going to pray. You're going to set me free. Then I'm going to take the reins back. And we forget that if you, need, if you need God on Sunday, you need God on Monday. If you need God at church, you need God in Chicago. If you need God in Chicago, you need God in Aurora. If you need God in Aurora, you need God in Plainfield. You need God everywhere, every day, because you can't do this life by yourself. Let me help set you free real fast. Everybody say, I cannot do this life by myself. Prayer affirms that. Our tendency, though, is we want to thank God for redeeming us getting us out of a situation, out of a ditch, out of a circumstance. And then we say, God, thank you for that. You came true. Your miracle power is true. I'll take it back from here. So we know that prayer comes to us with this affirmation of God's daily provision. And we see this daily bread conversation in the context that prayer reminds us that God is our daily source. I need God every day. I gotta tell you this though, how we pray reveals much about our hearts. Go to James chapter four today, real fast. James chapter four. There's a few verses here you gotta read. 
James 4, 3 through 7. And he says, you ask and do not receive. And then it gives a because. Because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. I think everybody here is probably guilty at one point in life if, for praying for something that was all about me. It's okay. I've done it. And then it says this. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says it in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now watch verse 6 and 7 close, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the who? The proud. But gives grace to the humble. And the context here is our asking in prayer. Gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what's that say? Submit. Is prayer a place of petition or a place of submission or both? Absolutely, it's both. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't forget that verse. I'm going to come back to it in Luke in a moment when we look at the life of Christ in Gethsemane. Let me give you a couple thoughts about this text right here and about prayer. And then we're going to land the plane today talking about a critical moment in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who prayed a prayer in a garden that changed everything. Let's talk about prayer. First of all, prayer changes our perspective. When you pray, you see things different. If you've never prayed and saw things different, you never prayed. Because the Bible tells us his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The things that Marty thinks, God doesn't think. And if you've ever noticed this, there are plenty of times that you ask God for things that you think God just did not hear you. Well, God just has a different point of view than you do. And God sees things different than you. Therefore, prayer takes our petition, our focus off ourselves, and it puts God in the picture. By the way, prayer is a combination of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, petition, and more. But at the end of the day, prayer has got to move your focus off of yourself and onto your Father in heaven, who is a good Father. So prayer changes our perspective. Secondly, prayer increases our passion for God. Prayer is communication. When you talk to somebody, you connect with somebody. When you connect with somebody, you build a closer bond. If you never talk to someone, the bond goes away. If you see someone every day, talk to someone all the time, the bond goes closer. Therefore, prayer is a constant part of our life. We should pray on the phone. We should pray on text. We should pray in small group. We should pray in large group. We should pray in the closet of ourselves. We should pray at church. We should pray at the prayer service. We should pray in the car. We should pray all the time because prayer builds a communication with God and it helps us draw closer to him and it impacts our relationship. Prayer calms our pain. Prayer calms our pain. How does it do that, Marty? It puts our trust in God. Prayer is a place of trust. The Christian life is full of points of trust. And the thing I would throw to anybody is how can you trust God with your eternity and not trust God with the next five minutes. I mean, if he is not true to his word in the next five minutes, and 
doesn't keep his promises the next five days or five years, then why would you want to be stuck with him for eternity? See, prayer puts us in a place of just trusting God. And listen, this life has pain. Life is not fair. People aren't always nice. You can do right and be done wrong. But that doesn't happen with God. Don't ever go to prayer with the sense, I can't tell God how I really feel right now. So when you pray to God, tell him just like it is. Additionally, prayer is a place that brings us into his presence. Now, we, we have a pitfall here because, because of our traditions and how we do a lot of stuff in church life. We, we tend to incorporate into our prayer services music and worship. And the downside to that is, if I can say it as a guy who's maybe helped create some of that, is that when you hear a song, you begin to sing. You don't pray. And singing a song can come from memory and not from heart. I, I can sing a song and not really mean it. But when I get authentic in my heart, everything coming out has something meaningful inside of it. See, prayer is a journey of trust, not just a journey of expected outcomes. Anybody ever prayed and God answered the prayer better than you prayed it? Like it was more than you asked for? Like it was better than you thought it was going to be? Absolutely. Because why? Because he's a God of not just barely enough. He's a God of more than enough. Prayer is a place in which we build our faith and trust in God. And prayer moves us from the arena of being self-reliant. By nature, we're self-reliant people. Part of the sin nature. But prayer reminds you, you can't do it on your own. You got to have God's help. I can't do this by myself. Let's go to Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Let's land the plane here today in this very critical moment in his life. And let's, let's notice how he prayed similar to how, how he taught to pray. Luke 22, we'll pick it up in verse 42. It says, Father, everybody say Father. Father. What's the first word he said? Father. How did he say to pray in Luke and Matthew? He said, kick off by praying. Father, Father, if it is your will, there's his will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here we have the Gethsemane prayer. And the first thing we see that Jesus did, that we're taught to do in both Luke and Matthew's gospel, is we kick off by praying to our Father. Now, I know you might be saying, well, Marty, he said that because he was the Son of God. Well, I just told you in Galatians that you've been adopted in and that you're also his son and daughter. And just as he was the son of God, we are adopted in as children of God, and we are heirs with the same promises as his kids. Therefore, we pray to our Father, who is a good God in heaven. And we see from here that prayer is a product of a relationship. 
That's why you can't let prayer become something you do when times are tough. Sometimes we only pray when we need something or want something from God. But what about just praying because he's good? What about just waking up one day and saying, God, I don't need anything. I just want to tell you how good you are. I just want to tell you how much I love you, God. You've been so faithful to me. God, I just praise you today. I worship you. You're an awesome God. You're an amazing creator of all things. Father, everything I see, you formed, you fashioned. God, you created my being. God, everything about my life is good. Every step I take, every breath I take is founded in you. In you I live, in you I move, in you I have my being. You are a good Father. You're an awesome God. God, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I just want to thank you for saving me, delivering me, setting me free. I want to thank you for the promise of heaven. I want to thank you, God, that you are good. You are loving. You are faithful. Just let that be your prayer. Begin to exalt him, extol him. He is beautiful. He is an amazing God. He is wonderful. He is marvelous. He's all these things to us, not because we deserve it, but because he is a good father, and that's how we pray every day. Pray that way. Uh, prayer's reality. Jesus, he's asking God for a different path. God, if there's any way, I don't, I got, cross, death, crucifixion, the weight of sin, uh, is there a plan B somewhere else? I'm for it. Don't be afraid to be real with God. That's why you got to have prayer time by yourself. There are some things you should never say to somebody else. Say those things to God. And then there's things that you say to a prayer partner or a covenant friend or a spouse or somebody else. There have been times on the front row that I've picked up my phone up in Texas some prayer warriors in my life and said, hey, I need you to pray right now. There's something swirling. I need some help right now. Just pray right now. That happens to me on the front row. I sense it in the air. I sense God, God does something and the enemy's trying to attack it. I'm just like, we're going to pray right now. Prayer is a place in which we keep it real. And then prayer is a place in which we find our strength after we submit. We just tell this in Jesus' life. He said, nevertheless, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And then the Bible says, the angel then came and strengthened him. Prayer is the place in which God comes in when we finally admit we can't do it by ourselves, We tend to forget that we have an all-knowing God in heaven going, hey, are you going to ever call upon me? I want to challenge you today. Let's be a praying people. Let's be a praying church. We can't do it by ourselves. I can't do it by myself. I need God's help. You need God's help. And God's a good God. And he wants to help you today. Father, I thank you for your word today. God, your word sets us up on the pattern of making prayer part of our life. And may today be the day that we do just that. God, give us the power to submit to you, the ability to identify that we don't know everything by ourselves, that we must pray. Father, you are a good father today. We thank you. We love you. praise you. And may we be a house of prayer, filled people of prayer. In your name we pray. Amen.